hear that sound? Hey guys, so right now what I'm holding is Recover by Mountain Maid CBD. Recover amplifies the calm before your rest periods with 25 milligrams chewable plus magnolia or mango. It's designed to promote stillness and settledness. Excellent for use in the evenings pre-sleep to help with restfulness as well as to saturate your body with CBD during its main recovery period, sleep. Recover, build, and boost. Looking for a more relaxed day? Try Recover during your days off to help ease difficulties of sitting still. Check out Mountain Made at www.mountainmade.life and find them on IG at M-N-T-M-A-D-E, Mountain Made. Now go check them out. Welcome back to the Black Biohacker Podcast. Today's guest is Rama, a yoga facilitator, and I'm so happy that you're here today. I'm happy to be here too. Thanks for having me, Kimar. Yeah. You guys, we're going to talk about mindfulness today. You see it everywhere in stores, on magazines. Even before this pandemic, I was noticing that a lot of people wanted to know more about mindfulness, and a lot of people were getting into it. So I want to know for you, Rama, how did you get to this point in your life's journey? Oh, I've had a lot of help along the way. Perhaps I should share about my father. He's also a yoga teacher, and he now focuses more on corporate mindfulness. So helping individuals that live that very busy, active, outgoing lifestyle, just showing them how to slow down, be aware of the breath, be aware of the body. When those things happen, when we are aware of the breath, aware of the body, when we're mindful, we're much, much better at everything we do. So my father was instrumental in my personal development. He guided me through many difficult situations. He encouraged me to live in this ashram where I spent a lot of my time. Uh, so I, I'm really quite thankful and quite blessed to have experienced many amazing physical teachers and also non-physical teachers in my life. I don't think I can be giving so much credit to myself. Uh, pretty much everything that I am is a result of my teachers. Hmm. So what is mindfulness? Uh, mindfulness, uh, to me, it's a tool. It's a simple mode of operation. Uh, to be mindful is to be more aware of yourself, of the things that you experience and why you experience them. And if you can be mindful, then in a sense, it's like seeing clearly. To see clearly, this is really the goal of all yogic practice, just to see life, to see ourselves the way that we truly are. And this is only possible if you can experience certain levels of mindfulness. You develop concentration, the single-pointed focus, and you start to see things, as I said, as they truly are. Is mindfulness meditation the same as other forms of meditation? Oh, it's so common. Anytime that we have uh, these terms floating around the, the modern yoga scene, they tend to be used in ways that, you know, uh, they weren't intended to be used. So meditation, you know, it's a state of thoughtlessness. It's a state of no mind. When we say I'm going to sit for meditation, usually what we're doing is just sitting there focusing on the breath, otherwise concentrating on something. And uh, they're not synonymous terms. You, you could say that mindfulness, it will lead you towards a state of meditation, 
but the two, um, they don't necessarily belong in the same category. How can deep contemplative wisdom be preserved in a non-religious mindfulness training? Yeah, I, I mean, religion for me, it never really comes into the equation. Uh, everything is uh, non-religious that I do. So this is a very common thing in the present yoga community. Is We see all of these ceremonies, you know, in my personal practice, I do incorporate some elements of puja of certain ceremony. And, you know, if you're conducting something like this, puja or a homa, you know, it looks like you're honoring these idols, these deities like Ganesha, Saraswati. But uh, truly, when you look at certain religions, it's not so much the names and forms themselves, but it's what they represent. Mm -hmm. And if you can focus a little more on what they represent, then you naturally cast away any kind of religious train of thought and you just get right down to the root of it because there is some value in all sorts of religious practice it's all trying to make us a better version of ourselves yeah. but it tends to get a little bit dogmatic and yeah when you bring up yoga for people who are maybe a little bit old, older generations more set in their ways mm -hmm. it does seem like something that's religious but the truth is very different from that nothing about yoga is religious if you want to, you can make it religious, but it just takes away from the value of the practice, in my opinion. That's perfect that you said that, because it brings me into a question, kind of what I said earlier about mindfulness is being adopted by the mainstream very quickly. So do you think this helps or hinders the movement? Oh, it'll be a bit of both. Mm -hmm. It'll always be a bit of both. Um, anytime something moves into the mainstream, we have a lot of parrots, you know, what I call them, that will arise. People that just repeat things that they've heard because they sound good, yet they don't really know what they're talking about. It's, it's very prevalent because people always want to sound like they know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And when we give certain techniques to the masses, they start to get somewhat perverted, somewhat diluted. Sometimes they're shared in an authentic way, and then, you know, we're able to reach many more people, which is beautiful. I've noticed when I've taken different yoga classes that the ones that are most helpful for me are the ones where the instructor or facilitator is talking about some of the history of yoga and why we're doing this pose or why we're doing this deep stretch. And the ones where we're just doing movement and it seems more of an exercise class, I get mm. no benefit from it. So this is an interesting thing about yoga philosophy. It sounds like you take a more of a, an intellectual approach to the practice. Yes. You like to know why you're doing things and you know where they come from, their origins. And this is really beautiful, but um, in a way, it's, uh, Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy and Western philosophy is mainly just like scientific debates, people talking about various subjects, whereas Eastern philosophy is a certain result of following a certain lifestyle. So the interesting thing about Eastern philosophy is that you, you don't actually need to talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it, it can be helpful to discuss it in brief, but the idea is that if you do asanas, you do pranayama, you do all of these things daily, then naturally the essence of yoga philosophy, you will start to learn that firsthand. So in some ways, we can actually learn uh, much quicker 
if we give just enough instruction, point people in the right direction, but allow them to uncover these kind of philosophies, these concepts on their own. Because mm -hmm. if you keep practicing, ultimately this knowledge will come into you. I think that uh, in Calgary here, you know, myself, I don't really take so many yoga classes because for me, personal practice is the bread and butter. But it seems like here in Calgary, if you go take a yoga class, really what you're doing is you're taking a lecture where every now and again, you change your posture or something. It sounds like the teachers are just speaking the entire time. Uh, and uh, for me, for many other people also, silence is extremely valuable as well. So I definitely appreciate that you're not looking for like a physical practice. You're not just looking for exercise. You actually want to know something about yourself, about the body, about yoga philosophy. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, in my experience, it's been so beneficial, so valuable to just bring people like a couple steps towards the goal, but not really talk so much about what's going to happen and just let them have that experience on their own. I think this is one of the things that our students appreciate about our physical programs is that they're able to learn with a certain level of scaffolding, a certain level of guidance, mm -hmm. but also come into these understandings for themselves. Things like that, they're so valuable when we learn them ourselves. So for the listeners who don't understand what it means to be mindful, can you tell us the foundations of mindfulness? Yeah, so there's a general progression or a general path that we follow with regards to spiritual improvement, but also just personal improvement. Uh, you say you move from gross to subtle, from physical to non-physical, from tangible to intangible. And how one should approach a new mindfulness practice is to start with techniques that are very easy to experience, very easy to actually digest and practice on a daily basis. And these can be things, you know, dependent upon one's personality, things like a body scan, you know, where all you would do is lie down on your back, maybe seated in a chair. Ideally, you have some recording, at least in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You can give body scan to yourself eventually, but you just sit there, lie down, you listen to these instructions, and you allow your mind to move to the areas that are you're being told to move to. And uh, it can be so many different practices that you might use, whether it be just an awareness of the breath or some little prompt that might make you more aware of the present moment. Some things I used to do is anytime I would walk through a doorway, any doorway, I would have to pause and recognize one to two things that I thought were beautiful about that moment. And it's such a simple thing to do. Anybody can walk through a door just take two breaths and say, oh, wow, I absolutely love the shape of this plant over here or something like this. And it seems like a very simple, almost novel exercise. But these are all ways that we can start to be more mindful about our surroundings, more aware about ourselves and our experience. So I would say start small. It can be very helpful to expose yourself to a good, experienced teacher, just get some basic background understanding about the practice. And that could be a physical teacher, a physical program. It could be online, as is in the case of our current situation. Um, but start with something that's super, super easy. Practice it on a regular basis. And then you can start to build up from there as your concentration, as your mindfulness 
grows. What are the benefits of mindfulness? Benefits of mindfulness. I love these kinds of questions. So many people ask, you know, what are the benefits of spinal waves? What are the benefits of this or that? And it is important to discuss the benefits to some extent, Mm -hmm. but also just like with yoga philosophy, uh, I don't need to talk to you about yoga philosophy. Do the techniques, do your sadhana, and you'll know the benefits. So in the same kind of way, I would encourage people not necessarily to focus so much on what might happen, but just do the practices and see for yourself. Having said that, of course, sometimes we need a little enticement. We need something that's kind of a foot in the door. So you can say that uh, mindfulness, it's a certain level of mental clarity. And when we are thinking, when we are calm, we're able to experience our life in a far more elevated way. Mm -hmm. So the development of mindfulness, it is in many ways the development of the best possible version of you. But again, we don't need to talk so much about the benefits. It's all about just establishing a daily regular practice and just observing in your own experience. Because I think that uh, it, it can be also quite different person to person depending upon where you are. Some people are more angry, more fiery. Others may be a little bit more depressed. So the practices might influence you in a different way. I think that it's not so important to talk always about the benefits, but just get into it. Let's see what happens. When you talk about mindfulness, again, it's an ideal to get into a daily routine, Mm -hmm. some type of seated practice. And when you establish a daily routine, uh, regularity, consistency of both the time of day, but also the location, and those can be quite helpful. For example, if you're doing some seated sadhana, um, set aside some area of your house where every day you go to this one little area. Like I used to literally create like a shrine in my closet. And so I would <laughs> go into my closet And then anytime I went into this dedicated space, naturally my mind would start to calm. Naturally my body would start to relax. So consistency in physical location, it can be quite important, but we also need a certain level of surprise in our practice. So for example, something like a meditative walk, a mindful walk, this can be such a valuable tool to kind of uh, mix up our daily routine, just Mm -hmm. enough to keep it interesting. And you will obviously take so much away from just a few moments in nature. Uh, Me personally, I'm a major fan of walking around barefoot, which is why uh, my recent move to Calgary, Alberta, I'm looking outside my window, it's snowing very hard right now. Barefoot right now for me is not so ideal. But I think that it's like everything. You should find a nice balance of both. Indoors, it's great because it allows you to control the environment more. You can control the sounds, you can control any breezes, so on and so forth. But outside, you feel so much more. You feel alive. So I would say for regular daily practice, uh, try to keep it something somewhere that you can control the conditions. Mm -hmm. But then every now and again, Go outside, go explore. Uh, One of my favorite practices, uh, it it used to be a mindfulness exercise where I would just stare at a leaf, any leaf for an extended period of time, and just notice as many different things as I could about this leaf. And we we learn so much from just observing nature. 
So although I'm kind of encouraging people more so just to stay inside where they can control the conditions and such, mm-hmm. at the same time, there's so much value from getting out in nature. So much value. Yeah. I know time has changed now. Before, I think this would be a common question of how if someone says, well, how can I fit mindfulness in my life? You know, I feel now people have more time to do it. When there are less cases, people are able to kind of go about their, I don't want to say normal because I don't think we're ever going to return back to whatever normal is, but into their new routine, how can they fit mindfulness into their life. I think that uh, many people are using this current situation to establish very positive routines. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many of us are just sitting down and eating snacks and watching the Tiger King on Netflix (laughs) or something as well, which is fine, you know, I'm not saying anything wrong with that. I watch a little bit of Netflix every now and again myself. Uh Well, yeah, if we establish good routines while quarantine is still in effect, then ideally we can take those routines, those methods of operation with us moving forward. Um, But at the same time, anytime somebody is looking to establish a mindfulness practice or an asana practice or include anything in their daily life, the first step is to recognize why we are doing that, why we need that in our lives. So for many individuals, if you just recognize how these practices might be able to help you and you focus a little bit on what you stand to gain or where you stand to go, then naturally you'll start to include them on a more regular basis. And it's kind of a snowball effect where when we are just starting out, it can be, you know, we're met with a lot of obstacles about the practice. I would rather spend my time doing this or that. Why do I have to sit in the morning, sit in the evening? But once we start to really feel how these techniques are helping, how these techniques are changing our experience of life, then we don't need to fuss so much about how to work them into our daily routine. Once you really taste the benefits firsthand, then naturally you'll do whatever you need to to incorporate that on a daily basis, whether that's waking up earlier, going to bed later, carving out some time in the middle of the day to just be alone and sit and such. This is perfect. And again, if we're cultivating these practices during quarantine, then once everything starts to, you know, as you said, flow somewhat back to normal, um, then ideally we, we carry these practices with us. It won't be so much of an issue. I do think that, you know, we don't need to look so much into the meaning or the message behind this coronavirus, but I do think that we're always being given exactly what we need in order to get what we need to get out of our experience of life. So I think that if we're using this time effectively, moving out of it, we can really make something special for ourselves. What should one do when their mind wanders off thinking about various things during meditating? For instance, the monkey mind. Mm. Yeah, so we all have a little bit of that monkey mind. You see, my monkey mind jumped off to uh, my beautiful partner Shakti there interrupting (laughs) the last question. But, uh, (laughs) But yeah, the idea is constantly bringing the mind back. It sounds like such a simple thing, but... uh, Probably for me, one of the best mindfulness practices or meditative techniques for modern populations is japa. Japa is the repetition of a mantra. And 
the idea is that you just repeat this mantra over and over and over and over again until it becomes the only thing that exists for you. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, it's like we're repeating the mantra, repeating the mantra, and then the mind is suddenly thinking about dinner or chocolate cakes or something like this. So the mind is always jumping in every which direction. And it's just because, yeah, this restless monkey mind, drunken horse, it's a, a, a car without a real driver, you know? So we just need to start taking control over our mind. We need to time it again when it jumps away from the object of focus or the object of mindfulness. We just bring it back. We bring it back to the mantra or we bring it back to the breath, bring it back to whatever it is that you're focusing on, the body scan, so on and so forth. And eventually, we're able to hold our mind, we're able to hold our concentration on that single point for an extended period of time. And when that becomes a choice, when it becomes a choice to truly focus on only one thing at exclusion of all else, this is when truly beautiful things will start to happen. But it's quite a learning curve in order to get to that level. It's like, there's a nice story actually about Japa meditation where we basically are boring the mind into submission. We're forcing it to do the same thing over and over again, over and over again, over and over again, until it submits, mm-hmm. until it becomes a little bit quieter, you know? But this takes a lot of time and a lot of practice, and it's just perseverance. It's finding ways to keep yourselves motivated, to stay somewhat joyful about these practices as well, because it's very easy to get mechanical about some type of sadhana. Oh, I'm sitting just because this person said that if I sit for 30 minutes a day, I'll become a better person or something like that. And it starts to become like robotic, mm-hmm. you know? So if that happens, it's the death of proper sadhana. We need to find ways to keep the joy, to keep curious about our practice. And only then, you know, you'll keep going, you'll keep going, and eventually your mind will become a little bit more collected, a little bit more calm. Hmm. So are there deeper reasons to practice than to get stress reduction? You know, you can come to these practices for many different reasons, sometimes to reduce stress. Um, I, I mean, the benefits are going to be vast. They can focus on just the physical level. They can go slightly non-physical where you're working more with energetic systems in the body as well. But uh, I, I would... I would really encourage people just to experiment a little bit with themselves, with these practices. Many, many wonderful things will happen. What is your reason for practicing mindfulness? It's less a a reason. You know, why does somebody brush their teeth? General oral hygiene. So why do I practice mindfulness? Uh, Why do I include proper exercise in my daily routine? It's just because I strive to be the best possible version of myself. So these techniques, um, you know, in and of themselves, they are useless. But when we apply them in a certain way, we're able to reap some sort of benefit. And again, when we feel that benefit, that's when the practice takes on uh, a whole new meaning, a whole new dimension, where it's just things that we do because that's what allows us to experience life the way we want to experience it. At the same time, I am not the type of practitioner that's like, 
so strict and so dogmatic in my practice. I'm very flexible as well. Some mornings I don't need to do anything. I was going to make a joke out of that when you said you were pretty flexible. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) you really are. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yeah. I have a decent amount of flexibility, but yeah, the, the, what we exhibit on the mat, ideally there's a reflection of that in our daily lives as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would like to think that how my body is able to move and bend and be strong and such, uh, the same can be said about more subtle levels. Yeah. This is just what happened when you practice, yeah. Do you think diet, exercise, having gratitude should all be practiced along with mindfulness? I'm happy that you asked that question. Um, for me personally, personal improvements, it comes through five points. So... Uh, when I had this kind of injury, uh, I was told by doctors I would never be able to run again. And I was focused almost exclusively on just the physicality, on working with basic yogic physiotherapy style exercises to try to improve my current conditions. Nothing was really working while I was focused exclusively on just physical development. I really started to improve only when I considered proper exercise, proper breathing, proper relaxation, proper diet, and positive thinking. These five pillars for me, they constitute the practice of yoga. The practice of yoga is not just stretching the body and doing all these little postures and whatever. It's so much more than that. So in order to really find the most benefit, you do need to look at how you move, the physical aspect of the practice, but also how you breathe, how you relax, how you eat. And when I say eat, Um, The yogic diet is not just those things which we bring into the system through the mouth. We also eat with our eyes. We eat with our ears. We eat with all five senses. And ideally, your diet, it should be a sattvic diet. The yogis say sattva, sattva guna is that quality of lightness, of purity. And when we consume foods that are sattvic, like leafy greens, so on and so forth, uh, the mind is in many ways primed for certain states of meditation, yeah? But if we just focus on one of these aspects, maybe some of us are just focused on the physical practice, maybe some of us are just focused on a more mental practice, but if you focus on only one of these dimensions, your growth will not be as rapid nor as successful as it could be. I always consider these five points. What is this person eating? Do they know how to breathe properly? You'd be so surprised how many people want to hold a handstand, yet they breathe in reverse? Mm-hmm. Inhale, abdomen goes in, exhale, abdomen goes out. I have no idea how it's possible to breathe in that way and try to do stuff as advanced as a handstand. Yeah, so, why do you think it, we breathe that way? For many people, they breathe well in the beginning of their life. So as an infant, as a baby, everyone's breathing nice, diaphragmatic breath. But then it seems to be like when we start to hit puberty, kind of when there's like this sexual tension that starts to arise, mm-hmm. that we notice people are looking at us and such. And I think that this reverse breathing pattern, it comes one part just from general nervousness, from social anxiety. When we feel anxious, we tend to breathe more with our chest, but also from a desire to look a certain way. I see many people that like walk around with a soft Uddiyana Bandha, pulling the navel in and up kind of thing, just to have like a more slender waistline. And when you do that, you're naturally going to inhale into your chest and you're going to breathe in such a way that's not conducive to, you know, 
using the breathing apparatus as well as you could be. So many different things that will happen, but yeah, I would say it's close to 70% of the population that need a little bit of help with just basic breathing. And I mean, it's a bad thing, but it's also a good thing if you recognize the simple fact that if you correct this breathing pattern, your experience of life will become so much better in such a short amount of time. You don't need to change anything else about your life. You don't need to eat better. You don't need to move better. You don't need to do any of that stuff. Just fix your breathing. Mm -hmm. And you have no idea how much more uh, joyful, how much more blissful your experience will be. And then all those other dimensions you start to include as well. What type of exercise, if someone, they don't feel comfortable doing yoga or they feel that they are too out of shape, what exercises would you recommend? Um, if it just could be as simple as just walking around the block, you know, or stretching, because that can be a form of exercise or... Mm. Absolutely. I, I don't think that uh, a physical routine needs to be a lengthy ordeal. Mm -hmm. Actually, if I speak about my personal practice, you know, I share a lot of very advanced looking physical skills through social media, but my personal practice is almost entirely non-physical. I don't do much uh, in the way of physicality. Uh, my strength tends to come from a slightly different dimension. Um, but the idea with this physicality, it's things like spinal waves, like shoulder cars. These are very basic, simple, fundamental exercises that they take me no more than 15 minutes every day. They're pretty enjoyable to do as well. Can you explain uh, what they are? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I should mention that I have uh, inside of our Becoming Balance app a whole plethora of tutorials and stuff to explain this in detail mm -hmm. but a, sh a shoulder car is probably the most fundamental physiotherapy style exercise for overall shoulder health the name itself car it stands for controlled articular rotation and the idea is that we move the shoulder or the scapula specifically through four different uh, potential movements we move through elevation depression retraction and protraction and we learn how to control specific pieces of our anatomy during that movement pattern. So the idea is that eventually we learn how to find full functionality of the rotator cuff of the shoulder itself. Um, and we eliminate any kind of clicking, sticking, tightness, instability, just with this one exercise, if it's performed well. I usually do around five cars on each side. And, uh, the technique is quite simple. You would basically start with your arms relaxing alongside the body. You would do it one side at a time. You would think about like reaching your right fingertips down to the floor. And then as you inhale, moving your arm into a forward position, bringing it all the way up to an overhead position, reaching as tall as you can. Then there's a specific rotation you would want to find as you start to move the arm behind the body. And the idea is... Um, most people will experience significant imbalance when the arm is moving forward compared to when the arm is moving backward. The shoulder itself, we tend to have strong anterior aspect of the shoulder and very weak posterior aspect of the shoulder, mainly because human beings were always pushing away from the ground, especially in yoga. It's only ever a push pattern. Mm -hmm. We very rarely pull, and therefore it tends to be that the back of the body and the biceps, they're a little bit weaker in the chest and the triceps. So it's just becoming aware of these natural imbalances and then finding very basic, very simple exercises that will help you to overcome 
the natural imbalances of the human body. So I think for me, I'm a very unique situation in that uh, I formerly studied functional anatomy and physiology. So figuring out how to do some personal training, how to get people to perform functional movement patterns, but then also living in a traditional Hatha Yoga ashram for a period of two years, it's given me the background, you know, scaffold of anatomy and physiology with these more ancient, eclectic Eastern practices and kind of fusing the two together to create a modern approach that utilizes traditional techniques and modern functional movement just to create a very, very effective, very short workout that we can all do to establish a certain level of just baseline well-being. Mm-hmm. So uh, at least for me, it doesn't need to be so long that you're working every day. I recommend finding 15 minutes in the morning where you basically, you have to ask yourself, what do I want out of the practice? Do you want to build strength? Do you want to become more flexible? Are you looking for aesthetics? Are you looking for maybe more mobility through the spine? Whatever it is that you want out of your practice, and you can kind of move through this in phases where, you know, for the first month you want something, second month you want something else. So your, your morning practice, you can find just very simple techniques that will help get you there, you know? And this does require some self-education. This does require some exploration. Um, I think that all too often, modern practitioners, we're looking for things to be fed to us. That's why I loved living at this ashram so much is that I didn't have to think about my spiritual practice. I didn't have to think about anything. It was just six in the morning, somebody would ring a bell at the ashram, big, huge bell, and then you'd go sit for meditation and everything was just being given to me Mm -hmm. in that type of community. And we still crave that. We look for other people to do the work for us, yeah. almost, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a problem. But if we just take some time to really educate ourselves, like right now we have so much information available through YouTube, just a basic Google search. And you do have to be a little critical because mm-hmm. you know, half the things out there are a little bit useless. But uh, I would encourage people to ask what they really want from their practice and then spend some time looking into techniques that might help them get there. And once you put those two things together, you can compile a very simple morning routine that if you just do it daily, it will give you all of those things that you're looking for. It doesn't need to be such a long process. I noticed the other exercise that you were talking about. It looks like a sensual, spiritual dance in a way. (laughs) The spinal waves? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that before. Shakti and I posted a video uh, and yeah, somebody said it looked like some weird mating ritual. (laughs) Uh, This is, in my experience, it seems almost like, you know, the things that look the strangest tend to have the most value. Mm -hmm. There are so many things like shaking, for example, just basic shaking. It's a way to activate the lymphatic system, release a lot of toxins from the body. Um, Shaking like how dogs shake? Yeah, well, I mean, every animal will shake. Mm -hmm. Dogs are a great example, but literally everything in the animal kingdom will shake as a way of either releasing tension or just shifting energy from one form to another. But we humans, given that we have conscious choice, uh, we tend to move a little bit away from our animal instincts sometimes. 
but my practice, it evolved in such a magnificent way when I started to incorporate different styles of shaking. There's some vertical shaking where you're just working to like shake every piece of your body just straight up and down. Uh, there's a few rotational styles of shaking that you can use to get more into the elbows and shoulders. Um, and I use this shaking as a warm-up. I use this shaking as a cool-down. I use this shaking as a form of preparation for my seated sadhana. Uh, you can use it in so many different ways. But again, if I was to just do some of these shaking things in public, people would probably look at me and be like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Yeah. He's doing some crazy-looking thing. Uh, so yeah, the spinal waves, the shaking, so many things, they look strange. Sometimes they even feel strange, mm -hmm. but they have significant benefit if we start to include them on a daily basis. Yeah. What is one thing that you are most thankful for that is currently going on in the world right now? Most thankful for, uh, it would have to be the level of connectivity that's currently, it's not necessarily being forced upon society, but we love staying in touch with family and friends. And in my own personal experience, I've been teaching yoga internationally for almost seven years now. And a large portion of that time, I was traveling completely on my own, you know, shifting from one city to the next. Every week, always on my own, um, I would see my family maybe once or twice a year. And I'm not the kind of person that's so much into the digital forms of communication. Mm -hmm. But present day, it's been a really nice treat. I'm having like Zoom conversations with family and friends, like talking to grandparents and all kinds of loved ones that I would otherwise not be connecting with. And uh, I think that, you know, really we are starting to connect on a totally different level. It has pros and cons. I don't want to do away with physical interactions altogether, but I do love this newfound level of connectivity that's coming just from the simple fact that we're all isolated and we all still want to experience some semblance of society. You know, we're looking to find our community. And so you have so many little online platforms that are coming out that allow people to stay connected in these kind of situations. Uh, so yeah, for me, I think that I've been communicating with my family more than I probably ever have, mm -hmm. which they definitely appreciate. And also with my students, you know, I, I, I think I'm well known for how much I interact with people through Instagram. If you send me a direct message on Instagram, I'll usually get around to responding in less than 48 hours. And this is with almost 200,000 people on the account. I never have any direct messages or comments that build up. Uh, but even now, it's like people are sending me videos of their practice because I want them to do this. Partly, it keeps me engaged, keeps me active. Uh, but again, it's just this level of connectivity that we're kind of being forced towards. Yeah, so, uh, yeah I, I quite love it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Rama, for joining the show today. Let the listeners know where can they find you, also about your app and if they have any questions where can they get in touch with you beautiful um the best place is my website danielrama.com through my website you'll be able to find links to all of our physical programs to our app to other online resources that you might want to use for the development of yoga movement or mindfulness uh, Instagram is a good place to connect with me and also to stay up to date with all of our 
latest events, latest happenings. Uh, through Instagram, we'll be sharing more details about our Becoming Balance app, which we actually released um, a few weeks before the quarantine uh, became our reality. And we currently have an iOS-based platform, so iPhone, iPads. You can also project it to a TV if you have AirPlay. Um, but we're releasing next week Becoming Balance for Android as well. So soon it will be available for uh, people of all platforms. And the idea with this Becoming Balance is we wanted to create a simple online resource that can help support a regular daily practice. Uh, the idea with the app is that it's designed around part practice and part study. So there's a practice section inside the app where you find full-length classes, various difficulties. We have things for beginners, intermediate, and advanced practitioners. We have some physical features that are uh, focused more so on just the physical dimensions, physical fitness, that we have some functional hit core classes and stuff like this. But then also aspects that are more geared towards mindfulness, meditation, a more introverted method of practice. And you'll find that all of that in the practice section. In the study tab, we have lectures, podcasts, asana tutorials, other educational resources to support your practice so that you can be sure that you're doing things the right way to keep the body safe and move forward as effectively as possible. Uh, these resources, my partner Shakti and I, we've been creating for the last number of months, and we've had uh, incredible uh, feedback so far. Uh, we're very, very lucky to be able to support many people during this quarantine time with effective resources for yoga movement and mindfulness. And yeah, we would say, uh, you know, it's right now it's feeling iffy as to whether or not physical programs will be able to resume in 2020 but we we really want to encourage people when travel becomes a possibility again um, online resources as i mentioned before they can really only serve a certain purpose they can really only paint half a picture we need to also support our physical study or our online study with retreats workshops teacher trainings all of these things are coming later on in the year. So uh, Instagram is probably the best place to stay up to date. Also my website, if you'd like to subscribe to the newsletter through there, you can stay up to date on all of our latest happenings. Thank you again, Rama, so much for sharing just your knowledge about mindfulness and yoga and a little bit of meditation. I've learned some things and I hope our listeners have learned as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me, Kumar. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Black Biohacker Podcast. Remember, your vibe always attracts your tribe. Until next time.